prefer because it's more that warm fuzzy of fellowship and communion. And let me just let me I'll just say I love the story of Mary of Bethany. I'm definitely like when I study scripture, the life of Anna is like who provokes me. So I completely understand the devotional and that place of communion. But you know, just as I was standing here, I was thinking that the topic that we're going to discuss tonight, it's not one of the warm fuzzy topics, honestly. It's usually a topic that when it's going to be addressed, usually people have very strong or definite opinions or, and they almost even feel like it's more like an intellectual study in the word. But this is what I want you to hear before we discuss anything scripturally, is I firmly believe that what we're discussing tonight is so near and dear to the heart of God that for us to give time and attention to his heart on the matter, I believe he finds such great pleasure that he actually finds pleasure even in our gathering here this evening. Like he, For us to look into his word and understand his heart, that's the place of friendship. And I can remember even starting the House of Prayer, one of my conversations with Lou Engle, as I just said, you know, I understand contending intercession, and there's a place for it, and there's a role for it. And I, this was my kind of debate to him, as I said, but I never want to lose that, like, posture of waiting upon the Lord and Mary of Bethany and devotional. Like, I don't want to enter almost into striving and intercession. That was my thought five or six years ago. But where I am today is, I'll be very honest with you, I've come to realize that true friendship with the heart of God, like you don't leave intimacy with Jesus to move into the place of intercession or contending intercession or those things. I'm going to be honest, that is the place of intimacy with Jesus. And that's because he finds a friend of his heart. He finds, it's kind of like if there's something that you are burning with desire, even as a person, an issue of injustice, even in your life, if you talk to a friend of yours, like let's just say it's an unlawful lawsuit that you get smacked with, and if you talk to a friend, honestly, if you have a friend that's indifferent and kind of like, what's the big deal, so sorry that you're suffering, stinks, doesn't it? Like there's an indifference there, you truly would question that person's friendship with you. If something that grieved you and that was afflicting your life didn't also grieve and afflict a friend. But I can honestly say I've seen it when I've gone through hardship and there's someone that truly cares and is right there and is willing to sacrifice for me. That causes me to stand up and pay attention and say, this person is really a true friend. They're not going to leave me on my own. And I really feel like in many ways, just when you think about it, we are made in the image of God. And lots of the ways that our emotions function, obviously not in some of our brokenness, but it, it even reveals the heart of God. And the heart of God is no different than when he finds those that are passionate and zealous for the things that his heart is burning for, those are his friends. And so just to be very clear that we don't leave the place of intimacy when we move out of John 15. <laughs> and we don't leave like even the place of understanding fellowship and communion. And it, when we begin to talk about the issues of his heart that burn upon his heart, and when we begin to even look and say that as a people, we must stand with him in the passions of his heart. We must know the word. We must understand what he burns for and respond in like manner. That's where he actually says, I found a friend of my heart. So I just want to start by saying that <laughs> before we, today nationally is Sanctity of Life Sunday. And what I want to say is, is that I understand that there's a good number of people in this room that probably immediately go, I have had no experience, no connection, and really no um, background with abortion that does not relate to me. 
So there's a group of people that almost think, well, that's about unwed mothers and they, they're making choices. There's also a group of people in the room that somehow your life has been impacted by it. You may have your, I mean, statistically, they actually say, I forget by what year, but that one out of three women, is it one out of three women? One out of three women in America will have had an abortion. That's outrageous. So honestly, some of you in this room, it may not even be you personally, but you might know a cousin, a sister, an aunt. Uh, you know, it, it has touched your life. I, I can honestly say people that I know, even people that I was raised in the church with, I've done an extensive amount of ministry to young Christian women that have had abortions. But this is what I want to say. If you hear nothing else tonight before I go into anything scripturally, what I want you to hear, number one, is that when we look at the Word of God concerning this issue, I, I want to say to every single one of you that we do not stand in condemnation or in judgment of any young woman, older woman, that has made that decision. There is no place, you have to understand, the blood of Jesus is enough to cover. Amen. The blood of Jesus that covers me, whether it be anger or unforgiveness, is the same blood of Jesus that covers the innocent bloodshed of abortion. So just understand the posture of our heart is not of one of saying those girls. We have to understand it's a national sin. It's even beyond something of individual sin. It's a national sin. And as we look at scripture tonight, I want all of you to understand that it being a national sin is that even if you have not made the choice to abort yourself, that there is a difference scripturally between individual sin and national sin. And there's a difference even between individual judgment and national judgment. And we're actually going to look at scripturally the, that there's national judgment for, for the issue of innocent bloodshed. So it's, a, it's an issue that regardless of who we are, our age, our gender, or even if we've had any direct affiliation, it is something that each one of us should be passionate about because as a nation, we stand guilty before God and there has to be a moral outcry on behalf of this issue. So I'm going to share actually briefly the um, biblical basically foundation because the question, the undergirding question for the issue of abortion is when does life begin? That's really, and then um, a good friend of ours that's here that has background actually, um, and the Lord has actually used him with the red envelopes. I was thinking about that this morning. Yeah. Um, so then he's going to be sharing with us. So I, we're just going to start with the foundation of understanding biblically um, the issue of when does life begin? And ultimately, that becomes the whole issue. Most of you, I mean, even in politics, this is like one of the most controversial issues of our generation, this and homosexuality. And for me, it's mind-boggling that both of these issues come back to the issue of sexuality. I mean, at the very, very root of it is the issue of sexuality. Oddest thing to me, I mean, love, same thing as abortion, I love those people that are ensnared in the lifestyle of homosexuality, love them enough that I'm praying and contending for the spirit of truth and for the spirit of deliverance that they can come out of that. Um, but saying that, how many times have you been in a conversation? I know I have. I've met people, and because they know that I preach or they've seen me somewhere, right out the gate, they'll say, I just want to let you know I'm a homosexual. And that like, really strikes me as odd, because it's not like, hey, I like Kellogg's, or like, <laughs> I prefer to sleep on my right side. Like, it's not like a preference like that. It's more like they just told me sexually, like, you know, I'm just going, you just told me, like, I kind of don't need to know about your sex life. Like, it's the most, like, it's a sexual issue. And the weird thing is,
is in our culture and our society, the whole thing surrounding it, is it's almost like we've lost sight of that. And ultimately, it's usually sexually illicit. Like, it's out of marriage. It's, I mean, it's not in the covenant. And then there's a whole other debate of civil unions and all of that. But even with the issue of abortion, when we look at the issue of abortion and look at statistics tonight, when you look at the statistics, it's a mass majority of women are in their 20s, and a mass majority of them are single, and a mass majority of them have actually had more than two or three abortions. It's being used as birth control. So the whole debate about, in which I won't even get into that, the whole issue of rape, incest, I mean, you can kind of shelf that because it's like literally like two or three percent, I think. And you probably know much better than I do, but it's like two or three percent. So it's almost like not even part of the debate, because when you're looking at the greater issue, it's mainly women in their 20s that are single, that have had multiple abortions and they're using it. And when you actually they've done um, the three major reasons that women give are issues of it would interrupt my education. It would interrupt my career. It's all an issue of my life would be interrupted. So now you're looking at, I want to live my life, I want to live sexually illicit, and I want no consequences. It's the issue of convenience completely. Mm -hmm. And mind you, I understand. I've ministered to young women. I understand there's girls that are raped by their dad, and then they're impregnated, and then the question of abortion. But I can also say I know many people and several people that are either the product of rape or circumstances that are just, you'd think they would be the time of going, okay, abortion, then maybe you could consider it. But when we look at the word tonight, and you understand that we are made in the image of God, that he is the originator, and he is the designer, and he determines life and death, that it is not ours to choose, when that becomes the authority, and when that becomes the basis, I mean, actually, Ryan Baumbrunger, he is down in the South, and the Lord's using him powerfully. He's a product of rape. And the first call in D.C., I can, I'll never forget this. He stood on the national platform. He sang beautifully. I mean, angelic voice, how God used him. Ministered to the heart of God. And he just said, I said he said, I want to tell all of you. He said, I'm that percentage in America of people that it would be considered acceptable to have an abortion. My mom was raped. And he said, but I can tell you today, I am so glad she did not choose to abort me. And God is now using him powerfully. It's amazing how we put and subject ultimately the authority of God's word to our own opinions yeah. or culture or moral understanding. Um, but I just want to really begin with, even I know some of you here, as far as your study of science, and you're far more intellectual than I am. Um, for me, it's enough to look at the authority of the word. And I'm going to be really honest, this is probably going to offend some people. I think science is great as a tool, but I never, ever, ever allow it to be the final authority, even when some people want to talk about issues of contraception and things like that. Because, and I'll just say this for all of you, how many times does science years later come back? and said that they've discovered something different or something new, and they're changing their statement. So it's a very dangerous, it's, it's actually shifting ground to base the authority of any decision upon science. We base it upon the word of God, and it's wonderful when science confirms the word of God. But this is the basis in our authority for decision making. But um, anyway, for those of you that um, really science is intriguing and appealing and God's given you that extraordinary mind, 
Um, scientific advances actually enable us to know that the moment an egg is fertilized, for those of you, I'm sure, like Science 101, that's the egg, the sperm, like that's like literally contraception. Like that's the like, moment you are conceived. Um, but upon the moment that it's, um, the egg is fertilized, when the embryo attaches to the lining of the uterus and then when the baby's first heart be in its mother's womb, all the genetic information you and I possess, it exists at that very moment of conception. At that very moment of conception, science has proven that basically your whole like, genetic code of your personality, of what your hair color is, in that moment, it is already instilled and it's already there and already present. All we will become is present from that first instant that the mother's egg is fertilized by the father's sperm. This includes personality, body size, color of eyes, hair, basic intellect, etc. Science indicates that the baby's brain begins functioning enough to generate measurable brain waves at 40 days. That's like just over a month. I mean, most women, for any of you that have been pregnant, don't even know you're pregnant. <laughs> I mean, unless you're really paying attention, that's usually, just to be very honest, that's usually when a woman has missed a period and goes, oops, wait, hold on, what's going on here? So you're usually at that month mark, the fact that you just missed your cycle. So just to give you a grid for, so at this point, this child, when you're becoming aware of it, already has brain waves that are enough to be detected. <laughs> it's just like, what? Um, and like I said, the other thing as well is that they already, from the, <coughs> the science, the genetic code is already there and in place to determine, bless you. <laughs> um, additionally, the baby's facial muscle, muscle, muscles move and are even appearing to form smiles as early as 12 weeks. Wow. Is that crazy? Science alone cannot settle the ultimate question that the, about the sanctity of life. Leaders of both sides of the political debate acknowledge that science has uncovered many amazing things about human life, but science alone cannot settle the ultimate question. And that's why tonight, actually, what we're going to look at is um, Scripture as the, the final authority. Scripture undergirds scientific data. As we look at God's word, the ultimate source of truth, we see that God, the creator of life, tells us that when personhood tells us when personhood begins. He also makes clear who holds the reins of life and death. Um, man is made in God's image. <clears throat> From the very beginning of the Bible, we learn that God is the author of life. Human beings have incredible dignity because we are made in God's image. Let it, and this is actually from Genesis 1.26. Most of you are probably familiar with this. Let us make man in our own image according to our likeness, the creator says. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cat, cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. I mean, that's a powerful state. If we have the revelation of that in that alone, the dignity that we hold, because we are made in the image of God. I mean, that means Down syndrome, that means every single living person, there is something of the nature of God that is revealed through human beings and the dignity of a soul. In giving man dominion over animals, God revealed that humanity is in a totally different class from animals. And I just have to comment on this. Think about how impassioned some of our society is concerning the saving of whales, the saving of seals. The sa there is such passion 
over animals and even the dignity of how they're, and I'm all for it. I don't want an animal to be abused, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but it's amazing that there is not even the same outrage over the issue of human life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so as far as Genesis reveals that humans are in a completely different class for animals, Genesis reveals that God creates human beings with a soul, a moral choice, a self-conscious intelligence. We read of God breathing a soul, um, and then to define that, uh, a soul is someone that's per, um, possessing free will and reason into a human being in Genesis 2-7. And when he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. We are formed from the womb. There are over 70 references to the womb inscription, in Scripture, and one being in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 1.5, Therefore, I formed you in the, in the womb. At that time, I knew you. Catch the wor wording of this sentence. God forms us from the womb. He is intimately involved with our creating, with our developing, um, with the little ones that are growing with, inside their mothers. That's powerful. I mean, that's such a, I, I will say, there's certain scriptures that almost become cliche from the womb I knew you. And I think some, I'm going to be honest, as Christians, I think that we hear them and they don't truly penetrate our spirit of understanding that the prophet Jeremiah from the womb, the Lord was fashioning a prophet from the womb. I mean, some of you, whether it's medical, whether it's law, whatever it may be, from the womb, those desires, those abilities, those, all of those things he was fashioning from the womb. It's who you were ordained to be. And so that's where the question of the dignity of life comes, is who gets the choice to say, this child is not convenient, when the very hand of God is not only the one that is fashioning and forming, but literally all of their personality is already in place. It, it's a, a creation of his heart, and it's expression of who he is. But yet we kind of take our circumstances and our, you know, in our culture where we've really denied God, and the death toll upon the unborn is just catastrophic. Mm -hmm. And really what we're going to look at is this issue of, the, the issue of how we deal with the poorest of the poor, how we deal with the weakest of the weak, and how we deal with the broken and, this, and the voiceless in our society is truly a measure of how just a society is. That is the measure of our society. I mean, and so when you look at this issue of abortion, it really speaks to the injustice that runs rampant in our culture. <coughs> um, I'll just give you really quickly, more than 50 million babies have been aborted since 1973. So set 19, we actually, I was at a conference call the other day with some of the, the leaders for Bound for Life, and he made it this clear, because today and tomorrow, there's the March for Life in Boston tomorrow, because this is the anniversary of Roe v. Wade. So basically, at this anniversary of Roe v. Wade, what that means is it's 39 years. But that doesn't mean like next year it's going to be 40 years. It means we just finished our 39th year. We are now entering our 40th year as a nation of legalization of abortion. 50 million babies have been aborted since 1973. And just to give you a grip of what that means, 50 million, because you think about that. I mean, like, how, do, that's like... It's actually in, 54. 54 million. We're at, we're at 54. <laughs> and, and actually, I don't know how many of you have seen the picture. There was actually a demonstration that was done where they actually put baby booties out for every single baby that had been aborted in the nation. And to just look at the mass 
because it's almost innumerable in your mind. But what that actually translates is if the entire population of California, the entire population of Arizona, Nevada, Oregon, and Washington were wiped out. That, that's approximately the numbers. Could you imagine if there was such devastation in our nation that we completely lost that population of people? But that's actually what we ourselves have murdered since 1973. Um, there's approximately 1.2 million, uh, that's approximately 1.2 million Americans every single year that are dying, that we ourselves are killing. That's 3,000 innocent lives that are taken eight, each day in the United States. And that's approximately one every 20 seconds in the United States. Um, I had shared earlier regarding the issue of basically when you kind of, when, and I don't want to go through all the numbers and bore everybody, but basically what that does mean is, is it's, it's, it's age ranges from 15 to 44, but like over 50% of that is in the around the 20-year-old bracket. And most of them, when asked, it's more than a one-time instance. It's, it's a multiple case occurrence that it is taking place, and most of them being unwed. This is taking place because of the belief that a woman has a right to choose. I mean, if you think about it, that's what all of this comes down to, is there's the pro-life side, and then there's the pro, we use the word pro-choice, the, the whole choosing. But really where this comes into, like, because, I mean, that's kind of the debate when you listen to it, is the understanding that it's a woman's body. But the crazy part is, is like, who's that college student? I don't remember even what year it was or what her name was, but pretty much she delivered her child in her dorm, and instead of telling anybody, she basically wrapped it in a sweatshirt and disposed of it. But basically, she was tried for murder, she was put away for ever, however long. But it's crazy the absolute contradictions in our nation Whereas that, she was treated that way and in that manner because almost somehow it was a separate life that she murdered. Whereas if she had just done it a couple months prior and had actually gone to a clinic and someone else had performed it for her, not only would there be no sentencing of her, no trying of her, there would have been, it, would have been, it could have been free in some states. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the way that we make such provision for women. Um, but it's interesting to me because when we get into the, the discussion of the right to choose, I mean, let's just really bring it down fundamentally. If it's your body, if it's your life and you having the right to choose, that's saying that a man has a right to choose to rape. It's his choice, right? He's choosing because it's his body and he's choosing for gratification. No, it has implications on the life of another. You do not, there are some instances you do not have the right to choose when it's affecting another. And this issue of pregnancy, you are hosting a separate life. I mean, it has a placenta, it has its own blood and its own blood system. I mean, all the intricacies of it, you're just simply hosting it. That would basically be like you have a guest in your home and you decide you don't want them there anymore. So, I mean, is it your right to choose to murder your guest because they were in your home? The issue of choice, the way that it becomes so blur your choice to steal, that you had a choice because you needed, and your, your need took precedence over the need of another. That's ultimately what abortion is. My need takes precedence over the need of another, and I will choose. It's this debate, but ultimately, if you talk about the issue of the right to choose in De Deuteronomy 30.19, and most of you are probably very familiar with this passage, it says, This day I call heaven and earth as a witness against you, 
that I have set before you life and death. Blessing and cursing. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. What we're really going to start to look at right now, this is like the last five minutes of what I'll be sharing, is this issue of where it says that you and your children may, may, choose, may have life is ultimately what are the ramifications upon us? For those of us that think that we're untouched by abortion, what are the ramifications upon our nation? And what are the ramifications upon your children's children? That each one of us actually has to see that we do have a place of responsibility, that there's none of us that stands exempt. Um, for me personally, about six years ago when my heart was awakened to this issue, um, I remember I was having to go preach at a church and I had never preached on the issue of abortion, so I was kind of like, where do I begin? How do I? And the Lord very clearly actually brought me to Amos 5. Um, I'm going to read it to you. You're welcome to turn there. But um, this really speaks to me personally, how you might not even be the one with the trespass, but that the way that the Lord charges each one of us in the issue of righteousness and justice. In Amos 5, verse 21, it says, I hate and I despise your feast days. I do not savor your solemn assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them, nor will I regard your fat and peace offerings. Take away from me the noise of your songs, for I will not hear the melody, but let justice roll down like waters. Let righteousness like a mighty stream. Did you offer me sacrifices and offerings in the wilderness for 40 years, O house of Israel? You carried... Shekhoth, and your king, and Kareth, and the idol Molech. Does anybody know? Molech actually was the god that they, they, they offered their children to. It was the sacrifice of their children. And what he's saying is, he's not even saying necessarily that you yourself, and if you look into this, he's basically saying, it was in your midst. It was in the midst of you, and you did nothing. And this passage of scripture is pretty intense because oftentimes we as the church, we want to gather together. We really want to be like the bless me feel good club. Like I, as long as I'm feeling a touch of the Holy Spirit, as long as I'm experiencing personal awakening revival, as long as I'm experiencing blessing, we kind of shut out that what is happening in the midst of our nation. God literally says right here, he says, put away the noise of your song. If you think that by coming to me and playing your music, lifting your hands, that somehow that is pleasing to me, he says, put it away. And he said, but instead, let righteousness come down like mighty waters. He's saying it is worship to me when you go after righteousness. He's saying, yes, lift a song to me. Yes, come before me with intercession. But now go forth and establish righteousness, establish justice. And we have to understand it's offensive to the heart of God. If we think that we can say that we are in right relationship with him, but yet in our midst, as they were discussing here, these three gods that were worshipped, and they were not troubled, they were not afflicted, they were not grieved, they were desensitized completely. They allowed it to go on without confrontation. Confrontation is something that is despised in the body of Christ. But what we need to understand is like actually it moves on into verse uh, chapter 6. It says, woe to those that are at ease during times of unrighteousness. Woe to those that are at ease during times of unrighteousness. 
I mean, we live in a nation that is plagued with unrighteousness. And I truly believe that the measure of understanding our friendship with God is to the degree that we are grieved and wounded and even afflicted and burdened for the, the issue of unrighteousness and injustice in our land. I'm not saying walk around like a depressed monk. I mean, I'm in no way saying that what that needs to look like or translate. I believe that obviously that the Lord can give you a portion of joy in the midst of that. I think sometimes intercessors can actually be the most joyful people because they actually know the depth of what it is to feel the wounding of God's heart in that place that he has grieved and they partner. And because of that, they're experiencing the ecstasy of true friendship with God. It's a paradox completely. But there's great joy found in that place. So he says, put away from me the noise of your song. This passage of scripture, it kind of really rocked my life of just kind of, instead of going out business as usual, I mean, I was a part of a church for 20 years. Obviously, I'm, I'm fiercely dedicated to the local church. I want to see glory and honor restored to the Church of America. But it just began, I began to weigh everything in light of going, how does God look upon what we're doing? I mean, he basically said, I despise your solemn assembly. Whoa! <laughs> like, that just doesn't sound right. Like, that's just scary. So I just began to really weigh, like, what is the heart of God on the matter? What is, and it's interesting, when you actually look closer, in, in Genesis 9, 6, it says, surely, this is a frightening passage of scripture, surely for your lifeblood I will demand a reckoning. From the hand of every beast, I will require it, and from the hand of man. For the hand of every man's brother, I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For this is the image of God. He made man. What he's saying here is that with the shedding of innocent blood, the way that we, basically he said, blood pays for blood. And that when you shed innocent blood, that for every man's blood that is shed, a man's blood will be shed as recompense for it. And he goes on to say, because man is made in the image of God. This goes back to the understanding of even from the womb. We are made in the image of God. It's interesting because uh, Abraham Lincoln actually had this understanding. For most of you that know that during his presidency, the Civil War took place. And his understanding, and I'll read you the, 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 the article that he wrote, his understanding was that for the issue of slavery and the bloodshed of slavery, what Abraham Lincoln was saying is that for every man that died at the hand of slavery because of the injustice of slavery with the Civil War, now blood is paid. I don't know if, if Abraham Lincoln read this passage of scripture. I don't know just if he had a download from heaven. But this is actually what Abraham Lincoln said. He said, fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray, that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled of, of the bondsmen, 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk. And every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn by the sword. He's saying every drop of blood that was from a whip of a, a slave master tormenting a slave. He's saying every drop of blood we are now going to pay by the sword. 
It was the Civil War. The extraordinary thing is that approximately 650,000 slaves were brought from Africa during the Atlantic slave trade. And it's actually quoted that approximately 650,000 men died in the Civil War. I mean, it's almost exactly life for life. But really what it is, it's this principle of the scripture where he says, innocent bloodshed. Man is made in the image of God. And he says, blood will pay for blood. Now the question becomes, for all of us, who we may ourselves not be participating in the issue of abortion, but what does it look like for blood to pay for blood with 50 million babies? I mean, 50 million is a stark contrast from 650,000, the Civil War. So if the day were to come where he says blood will pay for blood, if in America, that kind of judgment like Abraham Lincoln saw, if it came upon us for the blood that we have shed for the past it's 40 years, what does that look like, 50 million lives, for the, for, or 54 million lives for the lives of the unborn? See, that's where become, this becomes an issue for all of us. Because guess what? Many of you in this room don't have spouses and don't have children, but what that means is your children and your children's children. That means what is the reality, whether it be by war or whatever it might be by, if ultimately there is that replaying of blood for blood. And I understand that not all of us are working in Congress or state representatives, like we cannot physically change laws, but there are places where we can stand with the heart of God. And there are places where we can stand knowing that blood is not on my hands because I've, number one, taken the posture of an intercessor, but number two, I've cried, like Isaiah says, cry aloud in the streets, spare not. That is the place of refusing to be silent. There is such a place of silence that has come upon our society. There is such a place of, even if a young a friend of yours were to say to you, or you even heard a conversation, of even in class, if you heard someone else even discussing the issue of abortion, there's such an issue of privacy, such an issue of it's a religious issue if you're pro-life, that we automatically think, I better not say anything, that would be, I can honestly tell you, I've been at family gatherings, obviously a lot of my extended family is not saved, they're not believers, but I can honestly say that when an issue of politics or elections comes up, you can feel that vibe of like, don't really get into any real political issues of your stand on abortion or homosexuality because that's just going to be a time bomb for like the whole room to explode and, and then you're going to look like a freaky Christian and the whole thing's going to go on. But I can honestly tell you, I have sat in rooms and I have just thought, I refuse to be silent when it comes to the issue of innocent bloodshed. I refuse to placate to your political correctness. It is a life and we are murderers as a nation. I don't say it quite like that. <laughs> My internal dialogue is, I'm not shutting up right now. You can think I'm whack, you can think I'm crazy, but you know what? I'm biblically sound. I would rather stand on the side of truth and look like I'm in opposition to an entire culture, to an entire nation, even to an entire religious system, and know that I have stood with the heart of God. To know that I have stood in purity and in sincerity. And that really has to be become the cry of our generation. Yeah. Is I am not playing your religious game. 
I am not playing your game of keeping it. Even today, Sanctity of Life Sunday, because I work with a lot of pro-life, pro-family organizations, some of you know Chris, Chris Nino, that the amount of churches in Massachusetts that refuse to touch the issue, that from their pulpits, they will not address the issue. But where do we receive our moral compass if it is not from the Word of God? The only reason that our nation is being swept into such deception is because the church is not being the moral voice of righteousness. That is our intended role. And so when you silence the church, when you silence the preachers, people are left in complete and utter darkness and confusion. But it's that place when, when pastors refuse to be silent, I guarantee, number one, we'll see a turning because it will turn the Christian population, there's ramifications, but even if there isn't a turning, send us to jail. Like, go ahead. <laughs> I would rather stand on the side of truth than be counted, and I'm actually going to read you guys this, and then we're, we're going to um, close out with some action points. I don't know how many of you guys are fami familiar with the, pa um, the author, Pastor um, Lutz. I think that's how you pronounce his name. He's, he's um, German. I'm trying to see... Is that how you pronounce his name? I think it is. But it's, he actually wrote the book, When a Nation Forgets God. And there's a certain segment where he actually gives an exhortation that it's lessons on what we should learn from Nazi Germany. So here we go, looking at Nazi Germany. How many of you guys are familiar with this story that he tells? It's powerful, and it definitely applies to the issue of abortion. He says, I lived in Germany during the Nazi Holocaust. I considered myself a Christian. We heard stories of what was happening to the Jews, but we tried to distance ourselves from it because we could, we could not do anything to stop it. A railroad track ran directly behind our small church, and each Sunday morning we could hear the whistle in the distance, and then the wheels come, come rolling over the tracks. We became disturbed when we began to hear cries from the train as it passed by. We realized that it was carrying Jews. Jews, like cattle, in the cars. Week after week, the whistle would blow. We dreaded to hear the sound of those wheels because we knew that we would hear the cries of the Jews en route to their death camp. Their screams tormented us. We knew exactly the time that the train was coming, and when we heard the whistle blow, we began to start singing hymns. By the time the train came past our church, we were, at the, we were singing at the top of our lungs. If we heard the screams of the Jews, we would just sing all the more loudly, and as soon as we heard the, <clears throat> until we heard them no more. And then the eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses shared, but he went on to say, although years have passed, I still hear the train whistle in my sleep. God forgive me. Forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians, and yet we did nothing to intervene. I did not believe that we are, I do not believe that we are even close to the genocide or hatred, hatred that led to the extermination of the Jewish people, but many Americans without batting an eye, including churchgoers and professing Christians, have allowed more than 50 million unborn babies whose cries could not be heard to have their lives ended. The media and most Christians will not call it taking a life. They call it a woman's choice. Never even ask the question, a woman's choice to do what? No one should be allowed to say, allowed to, no one is ever allowed to say, allowed to terminate a life, to actually kill an unborn baby. 
No, it is referred to, referred to as the unidentifiable mass of tissue. It is, in fact, not that. It is a life. The conscience of many who have been, the conscience of many has been seared with a hot iron, and the church simply sings a little bit louder. They say, oh, yes, we care, but we can't do anything about it. Yes, we can, because we are Christians and we have a choice. Roe v. Wade is not a simple problem. Deceived hearts, irresponsible people, and depraved thinking are the problem. People are walking in darkness, not only because they love darkness rather than light, their deeds being evil, but because the church has not been the light. You know, I shared this, this story with you regarding, obviously, Jewish, and he, hear me, he says, I don't think that America is in any way near the place where with Hitler ruling Germany. But the understanding was they're in this church and they hear the Jews crying week after week. But the feeling was we can do nothing about it, so just sing louder. And then he's sharing how years later, just asking the Lord for forgiveness. But really what I want to say is in America, there are several things that we can do. I understand that most of us were not in the position to change laws, but what I want to say to each and every one of you here in this place, if you do nothing else, you can be a voice in whatever circle you are in. You can be a voice, number one, in the place of prayer. I mean, this is like so simple. I don't even know how many of you are aware of this. Some of you may not be. This is called a life band. It's something that we wear actually to remind us because it is easy. It doesn't touch my life every day. I know that I'm not waking up talking to someone every day that's being afflicted by abortion, but this is a reminder when I do see it, because it's obviously rattling on my arm for all these years, it's a reminder to pray, Jesus, I plead your blood over my sins and the sins of my nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America. It's a two-part prayer. It's end abortion, but also send revival. Because even what I shared with you, that place of Lincoln's understanding that blood pays for blood, he understood scripture, that if we do not see the ending of abortion and if we don't see revival in America, it is blood paying for blood. And there will come a day that we pay for the blood of 54 million babies. And what does that look like? Every single one of us should be crying out for the mercy of God. But the other thing too, the place of prayer but to be a voice in whatever circle you're in, whether it's your school, whether it's your family, whether it's your workplace. I mean, very, very, honestly, I know, not, I, I've been made aware, I have family members that have actually recently told me that they've defriended me on Facebook because I posted stuff about same-sex marriage and the biblical. <laughs> they were just like, Bethany, you're so, like, and I'm like, whatever, you just won't see pictures of my son if, like, <laughs> if that's how you want to be. But I mean, it really does come down to that place where it's an offense to man but that we have to stand with the heart of God regardless of what the price. But I, I, and I, honestly, I didn't come at this this Sunday, but this morning as I was driving here, I was thinking, I was like, really, ultimately, in America, you are giving the ultimate choice when it comes to voting. Mm -hmm. The issue of voting, and even in one passage of scripture, it actually says that when you come before me and you lift your hands and you cry aloud to me, I don't hear your voice because your hands are covered with blood. We have to understand when we vote for people that do not uphold pro-life standards and pro-life laws, we have actually partnered with endorsing and making room for them to rule in our nation. And we have no place to criticize or even no place to say that we are grieved over the issue of abortion if we have basically cast our vote to that, put that person in decision-making power. 
You're, you're, that is one of the clearest places that you have a voice in our nation is the, the power of voting. Amen. And it's utterly important that we participate in that. Um, oh, I just wanted to mention as well, we do have life band bracelets. If there's anybody that wants to take one, just as a reminder to pray. But the last thing I just want to share is Abraham Kuyper has a, a quote that says that when principles run against your deepest convictions, be, <coughs> that when, sorry, when principles that run against your deepest convictions begin to win the day, then battle is your calling, and peace has become sin. You must, at all price of dearest peace, lay your convictions bare before friend and enemy, and with all the fire of your faith stand. And this is what I want to say to each one of us today, is that we may not be directly related to the issue of abortion, but we all have a charge, number one, to be a voice, but two, to stand on the side of righteousness and justice. That that is, some of you in this place, I know you're wondering what your calling is. You're wondering if you're going to use your degree. You're wondering what you're going to do after school. I mean, honestly, vocation is really just kind of like a side thing. <laughs> you can kind of do anything for work. I mean, I, I sorry, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> I understand that you can't. I understand that in our country, the, the, the economic situation. But I will say this. When you're going hard after God, when you are pursuing, and it, the script, passage of Scripture says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things will be added unto you. Everything comes as a byproduct, kind of as a result when you're seeking first his kingdom. That finance, jobs, all of those things. But I just want to say that first and foremost, seek, seek first the kingdom of God. Stand on the side of righteousness. Seek first to establish righteousness and justice. Then all these things a husband, a car, a house, whatever it is, <laughs> it kind of comes, but that is not your focus. It comes as a byproduct of standing with his heart. We're going to close out with a time of prayer, but I wanted Chris to come and share with you guys. This is a dear friend of ours, and um, the Lord really relocated him to Massachusetts um, a couple of years ago, and he has been an extraordinary voice, like I said, of taking up the call for life and being a voice. Thank you. Yeah. Um... How many of you are younger than 20 years old? Oh, good. That's, that's good to know. I was, when I was driving down here, I realized that I've been doing the pro-life thing for 20 years this month, which really astounded me, which was 20 years after Roe versus Wade. And that was... Um, I first got involved with the pro-life movement. I was, a, I was working at a large church in Buffalo, New York, and this, or, this thing called Operation Rescue came into the city and they protested in front of every abortion clinic in the city. Mm. This was long before the life tape. Yeah. This, was, this was like wrestling women who were going into the, the, mm. the, the clinics and stopping Not them. the silent prayer No, it was not silent at all. It was kind of crazy. And actually, um, a year later, the Congress passed a law called FACE, Freedom to Access Clinic Entrances Act. And that law made Operation Rescue illegal. Wow. And that's sort of what was behind the life tape, because you, from that point on, if you talk to someone outside an abortion clinic, you could be thrown in jail. Really? I believe for a year. And I've had friends, I've friends, pastors, nuns, <coughs> a number of people in my life who were thrown in jail. 
because of because of the Operation Rescue, and that was actually my my initial involvement in the pro life movement was seeing what was going on around me, and at that time the the, the statistics in this country I think it was about seventy five percent of the population was clearly pro-abortion mm. at that time. So that was 20 years ago. The good news is, right now, we have a clear majority mm. in the United States. 54% of Americans um, are pro-life, except for that, it's actually, I think it's 2.4% of abortions happen because of rape or incest. Mm. And so there's still, you know, people still you know, think that should be allowed. But that's, a, that's dramatic, and that, that's happened in the last couple of years, and that mm. margin is increasing every year. Mm. But, you know, Bethany talked about action. How can you change laws? I want to I correct something you said. I, you know, it's not good to, to correct the preacher in their presence. But, um, <laughs> Do it behind their back. That's right, that's right. Take out the knife. No, um, no. You can change laws. That's the wonderful thing in this country, is that you can change laws. And let me tell you some things. I, I have a friend in the state house who's a, who's a state rep, and we are one vote away from having a pro-life majority again in the Massachusetts state Amazing. house, which this is one of the most liberal states in the country. Yeah. I grew up in New York. I'm from New York. And if you want to pray for something, you can pray for New York. Pray for New York City especially, because there, there were two laws that have been passed in New York City this year that are very troubling. One is they've tried to close through some loopholes in the laws, all of the um, crisis pregnancy centers. And um, right now it's, it's in the courts, so they can't, they can't um, put the law in, in, in place. The second law they've just passed is that they're banning all churches from renting public school property. Wow. And um, on February 12th, every church that's meeting at a public school will have to be thrown out. And, um, and, and pastors who are protesting this are getting arrested and being thrown in jail for 90 days. The reason I say that is, one, New York City is three and a half hours away from right. here, 100 miles away. The other thing is that anything that happens in New York City, more than any other place, you know, we hear this thing, loses this a lot, whatever happens in blah, 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 California. <laughs> shapes the nation. That's true to, to extent, but whatever happens in New York City really does. Yeah. Within two to five years, the trends that happen in New York City, the reason you wear the clothes you wear is because those clothes were sold in New York City first. So this movement to close abortion or pro-life ministries and to close churches in New York City is a chilling yeah. thing. This is a real thing. And, and I'm glad Bethany mentioned the Nazis because what's happening is a very subtle yeah. thing right now that looks like the Nazis. And I've worked in the pro-life movement for 20 years. I have... Uh, um, you name it, I've done it. Just recently, I was the interim director of a crisis pregnancy center here in Boston. And Boston um, is fifth in the nation in terms of abortions. My first two years here, I prayed on the backside of the second largest abortion clinic every day here in the city. And um, last year, roughly 25,000 abortions happened within the greater Boston area, which is inside the 128 corridor. Most of those abortions took place in two locations. 
one at Boston Medical Center. You need to know where these places are. One is Boston Medical Center. That's the second largest, and the largest is Planned Parenthood. And then there are several smaller ones, and you guys know about one of the smaller ones, which is near here, right? That's, you guys do silent sieges there, right? And um, the other one is Brigham and Women's does, does, does them. And you'll see sidewalk counselors outside that, that um, hospital periodically. Um, one of the big triumphs for me this year is that we, I was involved in putting, on a, putting an ad campaign on the exterior of some Green Line trains that run in front of Planned Parenthood. Um, maybe you've seen those. If you're at Park Street Station, one goes by every five minutes. Um, that's for the Daybreak Crisis Pregnancy Center. Um, but I, I want to tell you, there are a couple things you can really do, do that are very important. The first is prayer. I came into the prayer movement through the pro-life movement. Um, I, Bethany mentioned that God moved me here to Boston. Um, when I was literally ripped out of the ministry that I was doing, I led 20 hours a week of prayer in um, a place called Akron Pregnancy Services. And through that, we saw women coming to Christ. And when women come to Christ, they keep their babies. And it's dramatic. Um, Right now, the, the two large, oldest crisis pregnancy centers in the Boston area, A Woman's Concern and Daybreak, are both struggling, partly because they're, they're in a place in their lifespan where, um, institutionally, where they need some reshaping and revamping, and they're, and they're really struggling. So you can keep, keep those organizations in prayer. The other thing you can pray for is that the YWAM base in Somerville that just opened... Um, is they're, they're talking about starting a crisis pregnancy center in Somerville. And I think that would be a great location, a great place, just because they're close to Tufts. And, a, and most of the abortion um, clients come from Melrose, Malden, Revere, um, Somerville. Not so many, there are a lot of college students who go to the, the abortion clinics, but the bulk of the, the abortions are coming from those suburban areas, which is the, the trend. It's usually white, upper-middle-class women who are um, young professional, who tend to be the majority of the, the abortion clients. So, um, but I really, I would encourage you to, to, to do anything you can, and... Um, and I, I just wanted to close with this one piece before we go to prayer. Um, so God moved me from Ohio. It's originally from New York. God moved me from Ohio here. In the first six months that I was in the Boston area, I, I really just didn't know what, what I was doing, so I was just praying at home. And one morning, um, I was praying, and I just had this clear vision of empty red envelopes flooding the mailroom of the White House. And I um, sent an email to the people on my, my intercessors list, there were 60 people, and I said, you know, if you think this is a good idea, why don't you send an empty red envelope to the President? And if you um, think it's a really good idea, why don't you send it to one of your friends? Send this email to one of your friends. Well, the email went viral. And by Valentine's Day, the, um, essentially 
10 to 20,000 emails had been circulating on the internet, and I started getting phone calls from radio programs around the country asking me to do interviews, both Christian and secular. And um, by March 31st of 2009, the White House received three and a half million empty red envelopes. Mm -hmm. The reason I say that is because there's a I only do one, my motto in life is listen to the Lord and do what he tells you. And I know that if every one of you in this room, if you spend time with God listening to the Lord, he's going to give you ideas. He's going to give you something to do. And, um, you know, I've been profiled by the Department of Homeland Security, you know, if you ever want to, or, uh, you know, if you want to be on the hit list, you can, you know, listen to God. Um, so, listen to the Lord, do what He tells you. Because this battle cannot be fought one way. And that, that's the thing I've learned over 20 years, is that we need people who are sidewalk counselors. You know, there's a lady whose who's spiritual gift here in Boston is sidewalk counseling. And she, she works with Pastor Dave Hill. And this lady can, she, she does it. I, I've never met anybody who, everybody she talks to, they don't walk into the clinic and they get saved every time. I don't get it. Have you met this lady? A hundred and one babies. Right. Just She's year. amazing. She's amazing. Saved. But everybody can't be a sidewalk counselor. And it's illegal. It's technically illegal now. Um, so, but everybody can't be a sidewalk counselor. You know, the, the life tape is awesome. I think the life tape is awesome because you get to pray. You know, and nobody really knows you're praying. I love this. <laughs> um, but everybody can't wear life tape all day long. Because some of us have jobs where we have to talk. Everybody can't send empty red envelopes and talk to the, the Washington Post and fight with, you know, interviewers. And y all that, you know, that's what I have done. You know, everybody can't do that. But if we all do little pieces, everybody, yeah. everybody can't be a lobbyist in, a, in the state house. But, but if we all ask God for what we can do, you know, the, 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 civil, the ending of slavery happened at multiple tiers. Wilberforce right. did his piece. Yeah. That's right. You know, Julia Ward Howe did her piece. Uncle Todd's Cabin did its yeah. piece. The Underground Railroad did its piece. They all did the piece and it brought it down. And I believe, I, I believe, especially in the last five years, Barack Obama... Has, has really clarified this issue for many people, that, that we have to do something. And if, and if we do something, I mean, some of you may not know this, but, but your tax money is paying for the one-child policy right. in China. Right. So every time you pay your income tax, you're paying for female, female Chinese women to be aborted. That's, that's real. That's real. That's your law. That's on the books. Most of you may not know that. And the organization that's trying to stop that is here in Boston. Chai Ling and All Girls Aloud. So, but that's all, they're all layers. So if you ask God, he's going to give you um, the peace. Yeah. So I really, I thank you for the opportunity just to share a little bit of my passion about this. And um, I've got to split because I'm, I'm late. But bless you all. Thank, thank you for you. the work you're doing. I'm thank so glad. You.
that I could share tonight. Thank so you thanks. for being here. Chris, let's just pray. Let's just extend our hands real quick to Chris. Father, we just thank you for Chris and all that he stands for for your heart, God, and in the body, God, the declaration he is, the principalities and the powers, God. And I just pray increase the strength upon his life and the grace to articulate your heart on this issue. And I just pray for an anointing just to increase, God, that, that where he does speak and where he does have influence, God, that there would be implantation, God, of the, of the urgency of this matter into hearts, Lord, would there be action be taken and things would be moved spiritually, Lord. Just, just bless him, God. Give him all the resources he needs to, to, to lay hold of the vision that you have for him, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Just what? I just want to interject here two minutes. This have a uh, scripture here pounding in my heart, and I and I just believe it's like a really clear depiction of this issue straight from God's heart. It's out of Ezekiel chapter nine. Is any of you guys familiar with this chapter? I've shared it here before. It's an intense chapter. It's an intense chapter, but it's a it's a way God deals with an issue very parallel to the issue that America is dealing with in terms of the complacency in the body of God, the body of Christ. And the issue of abominations taking place in the land and people doing nothing about it, saying nothing about it, praying nothing about it, and God responding. And I just want to, in that context, read you this chapter real quick and then I'll just share a quick thing. We'll get in some prayer. It says, Then he called out in a hearing with a loud voice. This is Ezekiel watching this. He's saying, Let those who have charge over the city draw near, each with a deadly weapon in his hand. And suddenly six men came from the direction of the upper gate with faces of north each with his battle axe in his hand. One man among them was clothed with linen and had a writer's inkhorn at his side. They went in and they stood beside the bronze altar. Now the glory of God of Israel had gone up from Cherub where he had been to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed with linen who had the writer's inkhorn at his side. And the Lord said to him, Go throughout the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over the abominations that are done within it. Basically, go within the land, mark all those who are laying the place of intercession over all the abominations that are taking place in the land. To the others he said in my hearing, go after him through the city and kill, and do not let your eyes spare and have no pity. Utterly slay old and young men, maidens, little children and women, but do not come near to anyone who has this mark and begin in my house. I just want to clarify, this is nothing, I'm not trying to uh, touch a theological thing here in your mind about disposition, if we're in a disposition of grace, or if the judgments of God are still active. This is about a place of the severity of God's heart concerning issues in the land. Do we understand that there is a, a God that we serve right now, in, a, in a, not just a story, but in a moment of history, two true written account of history, where God acted on, it, on a situation that was taking place. Then he said, defile the temple, fill the courts with the slain, go out. And they went out and killed in the city. So it was that while they were killing them, I was left alone. I fell on my face and cried out and said, Alas, O Lord, will you destroy all the remnant of Israel and the pouring out of the fury on Jerusalem? Then he said to them, the iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceedingly great. And the land is full of bloodshed and the city full of perversity. And they say the Lord has forsaken the land and the Lord does not see it. And as for me, also my eye will neither spare nor will I have pity, but I do re recompense their deeds on their own heads. Just then the man clothed with the linen and the unknown and the acorn at his side reported back and said, I've done all that you've commanded me. And I just want to challenge us with a, with a, with a big statement here. 
What does it do to your heart when you heard in just these last two hours that we've been here, statistically 360 babies were killed in the United States. 360 in a two-hour period that we've been here were murdered. Does it affect your heart more if you think about a hospital? Is it, say that green building next door was a hospital. and Someone came running in and said, some crazy man ran in there. There was a 360-day-year-old babies laying there, and he just wiped them all out. What would that do to your heart? We've become so desensitized and familiarized with the statistic of abortion, my heart included. And this is the place of not just crying, but saying, God, we need your heart from this. We need to be woken up, God, because this, this business as usual does not do for us anymore. This is a place, and I know this is a hard place for some of you guys. I can, I can feel it in the room. But you know what? You've got you to cry out for God's heart. Not your heart. Not your wisdom. God's wisdom. God's understanding. What he sees. What he knows. God's response to Ezekiel said, people have saying you've forsaken the land. He said, I didn't forsake the land, but I saw bloodshed prevail across the land, so I have acted in justice over this. And you know what the scariest thing was to me? He said, start in my house to them. Because the perversity didn't start in the streets, it started in the house. And actually in that time, there was so much going on in terms of the priests of that day and the priests of the house of God that were, that were all their motives were self-benefiting. All their motives were, because were, the chapter, if you read 9, 10, 11, it's a powerful three chapter, but it just shows that this, this was running rampant throughout the church just like it was in all of Jerusalem. And I just got to say, guys, my own heart, when I hear Bethany speak, and Chris speaking, my heart saying, God, I don't, I don't have this like I should, like you have this in your heart, God. There's no way I do. There's no way that 360 babies just died, and I'm not touched emotionally by it. And like Bethany says, it's not walking around this, like, whatever type mindset, not connecting with society, but it is this issue of connecting with his heart and weeping and lamenting, getting into that place of agreement and partnership with the heart of God, saying, God, you have to act. You need to do something. And ultimately, in my opinion, I believe it comes in the outpouring of his spirit, the heart of people being awakened to the truth of God and, and culture and society being transformed within by the touch of God. You know what? It can happen in politics. That's great. Uh, things... Uh, get reformed in terms of bills that are being passed. But unless the heart of man is being struck, I think I'm calling out for the greater thing from the body of Christ, saying, God, come and, and awaken the reality of who you are, because you know what? This stuff gets displaced as a result. The consciousness of the moral uh, state of, of this country, uh, in light of the nearness, I'm not trying to speak quick and confuse people, but in light of the nearness of God's presence to us, the fear of the Lord that he sees and he knows all, we have to act and we have to cry and pray and ask God for his heart on this issue. And I just want to uh, encourage everybody just to stand up for a few minutes here. And I, I do, seriously, guys, I want to just start here. Start here tonight where we ask God for his heart. If you feel like you're, you're not connecting with this in a way you should connect with it, I, I really encourage you just to take a few minutes, not to have someone pray over you, but simply pray and ask God. The uncreated God who lives in your heart, who's partnered with you. It says in Corinthians, the union that took place in the moment of salvation in your life, of his spirit and your spirit is inseparable. It's like food coloring and water. Once it happens, it can't, not, it can't be separated again. Let's just take a moment and ask the one who lives in us to give us just his heart for this. I just 
moments even stand before you and repent, God, of my passivity over this, God, my familiarity with this subject, God, and not allowing it to move my heart any longer, God. And Father, I pray that you would change me. And I ask God from the inside, God, that you would start to change my mind and my heart, God. I want to know what you're saying about this issue, God. I want to know, God, we're here, we're standing before you, God. As your eyes look upon us, God, and we just say we want your heart, Jesus. What you see and what you feel and know about this issue, God. Wake us up, oh God. Wake the city of Boston. Wake this nation up, God, we ask, Lord. Move us, Lord. Move us according to your heart, Jesus. Go past prayers, God. Awaken your people, Jesus. We ask for your heart, Jesus. I just encourage you, don't move quickly from this place. Even beyond this night, just in the week to come, just let this be a focused time of prayer for you, that you would ask God for this. More than just a touch one night, more than just an emotional stirring, but something that's deposited by the Spirit of God in your life where you're awakened to it, where it becomes a burden and a place of intercession and agreement with God's heart. I encourage you, this has got to be something that grips our heart.
Father, for all the women who have had abortions, Lord. Lord, that it would be your kindness and your love that would move them into repentance, Lord God. We say no more multiple abortions, Father. But Lord, that there would be such a conviction. It's not shame, Lord God, but it's conviction that draws people near to you, Lord. So, Lord, we pray for conviction and not condemnation, Lord. God, we just plead your mercy over our nation. Yeah. Uncloud our minds, uncloud yeah. our thinking. Open our eyes to see the truth, Lord. We just ask, God, that the church would open up her doors to struggling mothers, Lord. That God yeah. would open up their doors to unwanted children, Lord. And that this country would be a nation of adoption, yeah. not abortion. Yes, yes. yes, God. God, we just ask that the fire of your love would consume us, God. Yes. That give us the fear of the Lord in the land again. Jesus, we just plead your blood, God, over our sins, God, and the sins of our nation. God, would you end abortion, Father, and send revival to America? Thank you, Lord. God, we just look to you, we lift our gaze to you, and say, God, we believe that your promises are yesterday, and then we ask you to hear this vision in our hearts to see abortion as in America, in Jesus' name. Stop compromising and stop bowing down to political correctness. And ask you to raise up uh, a strong, a strong spine in, in the shepherds yes. of the body of Christ, Lord. Yes, to not Jesus. compromise, to speak the, your word, your heart, Lord God. Yes. And to not just, just fall down and bow down to the spirit of this age. Let's pray to just make the shepherds your voice in this land. Yes. It be a trouble to this land, especially on the issue of life and innocent blood that has been shed. Heavenly Father, we uh, we pray for our leaders, we pray for uh, the government officials um, in this land locally, and um, in the White House, Lord, we pray for President Obama. God, we lift him up to you. We ask that um, in the night, Lord, to give him visions and understanding that, that your word will prevail, that your word is true. God, I ask you to convict his heart and to reveal uh, what what matters most, and that is life, that is preserving what you have created, um, what you love, God, and I just pray you would uh, just put that, deposit that into his heart supernaturally, Lord, and, and his cabinet, everyone else, Lord, I just pray um, that you would do a miraculous work there, um, that it would uh, uh, just, just rise up from the church and, and uh, penetrate our, our government officials, Lord, uh, in the name of Jesus. Violent taken by force. And Lord, this is a violent war. 
I've, I've said that abortion is wrong. I haven't been violent in my opposition. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a spirit of violence, God, against the murder that is occurring, God, in our midst. I pray that we wouldn't just say that it's wrong, but that we would violently oppose murder that is happening to your innocent children, Lord. Lord, that we would not be able to just, just simply say, this is what I believe, but that we would act on what we believe, Lord God. Lord, in every instance, God, we would do all that we can to prevent, God, these murders. Father, we just come before you today. We ask that you come with healing in your wings over this nation, God. Father, to those who are broken sexually, Father, God, in every place where there has been abandonment, Father, and different issues that have arise, God, that have caused the, the, the place of abortion to become prominent within this nation, Father. God, we're asking, would you come with healing, power, God? Would you come with healing in your wings over this nation? Father, we thank you that your blood, it speaks a better word. Father, we thank you that your word, your blood speaks a better word, Father. So God, we just we just say, let's just all join in agreement with the with the life prayer. Come on, let's stand to our feet. If you don't know it, we're gonna pass out these life bands. The Bound for Life movement have really been the spearheads, I think, in this nation towards the issue of abortion. And it's simple as it's just we're gonna let Jordan say it one time and then we're gonna try to learn it all together but tonight before we leave this place we, we want everybody wearing one of these bands as a reminder to to not just here to that tonight but a constant reminder to pray for the ending of abortion that God would send his spirit the spirit of revival amen, amen. so Jordan if you lead us in the line Jesus, Jesus we plead your blood over our sins and the sins of our nation God end abortion and send revival to America Jesus, we plead your blood over our sins and the sins of our nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America. Jesus, we plead your blood over our sins and the sins of our nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America. Jesus, we plead your blood over our sins and the sins of our nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America. Jesus, we plead your blood over our sins and the sins of our nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America. Jesus, we plead your blood over our sins and the sins of our nation. God, end abortion and send revival to America. Thank you, Lord. Father, we ask, Lord, that you would pour your spirit, God, even in our city, Jesus, that we would see major strides against the culture of death, Lord, against the industry, uh, the abortion industry, Father. We ask, Lord, that revival would be poured out, God, in Boston, in Cambridge, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. All right. Listen, thank you for holding in there with us. Uh, but seriously, guys, before we leave, if you don't have a life band, uh, we want you guys to have one. So we're just going to pass this here. If you have one, just pass it along. If you don't, they come in all different sizes. But it's just a reminder as, you know, you're driving in your car or you're down at your desk or you're in your class to just um, be reminded to pray for the ending of abortion and the spirit of revival to be poured out in our nation. Amen. Amen.
All right, well, many of you might not know, but all of you are welcome to stay with us. We're going to have a potluck dinner. It's, we've been fasting now for 21 days, and we're going to end that fast tonight. So you're welcome to hang out. We're going to do some stuff that just set up the house a little better so we can all eat and break bread together. But seriously, hang out, be with us, fellowship, and uh, have some good food. Amen? Amen. Love you. Um, another announcement. The Justice Block that we're starting by weekly to 9 to 11 on Saturdays, this Saturday we're actually praying for the issue of abortion. Yeah, come and get plugged in. It's right after our uh, 7 to 9 set. We go from 9 to 11, and it's all it's the whole set is focused on issues of justice. So this, this week we'll be focusing on praying for the end of abortion. We love you guys. Be blessed. Stay. Have some food with us and fellowship. All right. Uh, we need, uh, I need some guys. I need four guys. So if I can get, get uh, Simeon, Thomas, I got you. Will, you going to go? Yeah. Okay, get out of here. Okay. Yeah, hey, love you. One, two. Okay. You got, you all right. What's your name? Okay. Um, Bethany's going to lead you guys to get some tape.